0: Hello? Oh, there I am. Thank you. Thanks. Oh, I'm a bit feeding back. Is it my balloon? I did wonder if my balloon was caused problems. I was explaining to Charlotte that I'd intended to wear the balloon uh, around my neck, um, but I realized on the recording it would just rustle the whole time. And I have a love-hate relationship with this mic as it is, so I thought I'm not going to tempt it. Well, good morning. If you have not met me yet, my name is Melanie, and I'm married to Stuart. And together we love and lead this beautiful thing we call real life. And I feel a little bit like this was what we were like when we first started coming to the girls' school, size-wise. So I feel quite at home, to be honest and a little bit nostalgic where I think of where we've come from and what God has done in our lives as a local church. It's incredible really when I look around and think we used to have this number of chairs out and now we have the back lot out and we're Fast running out of spaces, which is a beautiful thing in the kingdom of God. So, makes my heart happy. So, you're very welcome here this morning. I hope you've come ready to be a little bit challenged and a little bit uncomfortable in your seat and leaving with some things to look at in your summer. What I really wanted to do is pose a question for us that I want us to consider, no matter where you're at in your relationship with Jesus, or what church you go to, or what your plans are for the summer, that you had something that you would be asking over your life and checking in with your life. So in our house, if we go to a coffee shop, or if we go out somewhere, both our boys don't seem to be able to just sit and colour beautifully and just sit still and just so we over the years have worked out hacks so that mummy can sit and have her whole hot chocolate so we have grown up over the years so we began with stickers and crayons and every book I could manage to fit in my bag and laid out on the table so that I could finish my hot chocolate it was all about that Um, And then we progressed into activity books with stickers and stickers all over mummy and, you know, all over my hot chocolate and in my hot chocolate. And now we kind of play games. So we play card games. I mean, we can keep going for ages now. I can have two hot chocolates if I want. So it's brilliant. But both my boys love a would you rather. So they love to sit there and go, Would you rather, and they they range from the ridiculous to the ridiculous, to be honest. Most of them make us go, oh, like small boy, would you rathers. So I've been thinking about these kind of questions that make us kind of think about things. So I hope it's okay. I'm going to subject you guys to a would you rather, to a few of them, to be honest. So would you rather go into the past and meet some of your ancestors, or into the future and meet some of your future relatives, maybe great-grandkids, that kind of thing. So give me a show of hands if you'd rather go into the past and meet some of your people. And give me a show of hands if you'd rather go into the future. Ah, interesting, I like that. Would you rather have more time or more money? So, would you rather have more time or more money? So, would you rather have more time? Give me a show of hands. Oh, yeah, Charlotte's here. She's like, yes, please. I would like 48 hours extra every day. Yes, please. Uh, would you rather have more money? Yeah, like it, like it. I actually think that, 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 that says, you know, a lot. I like it. Would you rather, this one crack me up, would you rather be able to speak and be understood by every animal in the kingdom, or would you rather be able to speak every language? So I think this would have an age divide. My boys were like, that's a complete no-brainer. Of course we'd like to speak to every animal. I was like, yep, okay, yep. So every animal, would you rather be able to communicate with every animal? The young at heart, like that, yeah. Would you rather be able to speak every language? Oh, yeah, yeah, that one. That one's a good one. Uh, this one's a little bit easier. Would you rather be Spider-Man or Batman? Okay, so all those for Spider-Man. Yep, yeah, like that. Would you rather be Batman? Yeah, uber cool. Like it, yeah. Uh, this one's a little bit more taxing. Would you rather stop all war or end world poverty? It's a little bit taxing. All war... You should have heard Asher on this one. All war. Who's stopping all war? Yeah. Yeah. Who's stopping world poverty? Yes, yes interesting. <laughs> yes, interesting. Totally interesting. Would you rather... Oh, this one's a good one. Would you rather live somewhere where it's always summer or always winter? So you've got snow or sunshine. I know what the lady at the back's going for. Yes. Okay, all summer. Yeah, sorry that you live in the UK. All winter. Yeah, love it. This is the last one. So, this got messaged into us. Um, so, I need you to consider this one seriously, okay? So would you rather, when I tell you this, what I first need to say is my husband, along with being an elder and a church leader, is also a black belt in karate, and I honestly think before he sees anyone pastorally, he should point that out. He should just let them know. Maybe just pop the black belt down on the table and then sit, or maybe just sit in his karate gi with the black belt on and just take a seat and say, so what is it we need to talk about? So... Um, Before I ask this question, you should know that. So, would you rather fight one Stuart-sized duck? So, a Stuart-sized duck. So, Stuart... No, no, no. One duck-sized Stuart. One duck-sized Stuart. Which way round? Help me, Stuart. Help me. I get this so wrong. I I practiced this about 20 times. One... A hundred duck-sized Stuarts, so a hundred little Stuarts, or one Stuart-sized duck. Yes. Would you rather fight one Stuart-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized Stuart? I literally practiced that so many times. Stand up for us, Stuart. Let's see. So would you rather fight a duck the size of Stuart or a hundred... Stuart sized ducks. So a duck the size of Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> Will someone help me out here, please? All right, either a massive duck or a hundred little Stuarts. Is that better? Massive duck. Who's fighting a massive duck? Yeah. And who's fighting a hundred little Stuarts, yeah. We all decided in our house we'd fight a hundred little Stuarts. We just thought that would be great fun. Thank you very much for that. You can rest now. And I can rest because I I, I practiced that last one so much. I've even got it written down here the right way round and then said it the wrong way round. Okay, so great questions make us think. They really have hurt my brain this morning. They reveal things, they make us consider things, they make us question ourselves, they make us look at things differently, they make us consider other people's opinions, they invite us to get help in when we think, I just don't know what the answer would be to that. Great questions are brilliant. The questions that we ask in life groups are there so that we can get to know one another. You might think, why do we ask that question every week? It's because every week the answer looks different. It's because depending on your mood, your high-low looks completely different every week. Depending on what has happened around you, depending on what other people share and the depths they go to, make a difference to the depths you go to. Great questions really help us. It's one of the skills I think as leaders that we really need to hone. It's not having all the answers. It's asking the great questions. It's inviting people to consider things, think about things, be tested by things. And if you look at the life of Jesus, he was the master at it. He was the master at kind of sidestepping a lot of the big questions, but asking the questions he had himself. The questions he really wanted people to consider. The things that he wanted to challenge people on and see people's hearts changed on. The question really he would ask that needed to be asked, not the question that was asked of him. What needed to be asked, what he asked of others, So I'm going to read a few of his questions and I'm going to pose a question for us that I want us to go away and consider. I want us in our life groups, us in our lives, to take a little look to consider some things. So if you've got a Bible, you can follow along on this. If not, I will read it for you. If you don't own a Bible, we would love to sort that out for you. If you are struggling to read your Bible, we would love to help. If you've got a translation that you think, I just don't connect with this, I'm just not getting to know Jesus, we would like to help you. The main aim of the Bible, the book that you hold in your hand, is so that you would be invited into a relationship with Jesus. It's supposed to help you. So if it is not helping you, if it's just that you're lazy and you can't be bothered to read, well, you you need to sort that out. But if it's that your translation is causing you problems, or if it's that you don't own one yourself, or if it's that you've got an old King James one that you got given a hundred years ago and you, you are trying desperately to read it and you can't connect with it, let us help you. That's my long way of saying, please open your Bible or get it up on your phone. So I'm going, to read from, I'm going to read a few bits. So you'll be jumping around Gospels, obviously, because it's Jesus asking these questions. So I'm going to read Matthew 16:13 to 15. I'm reading from the NLT because it's my favorite. Uh, so when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? So a general question out there, who does everyone else say that I am? Which I think the disciples would have been well happy answering. Oh, some say you're this, some say you're that. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, and this question is the, the one that really gets them. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? It's like, it's, it's the master Of questioning. It's great. Who does everyone else say I am? But who do you say I am? It's the question really that matters. At the end of your life, it will be the only question that matters. Who do you say the Son of Man is? It won't matter what your house says about you, your car says about you, your job says about you, your clothes say about you. It won't matter. All that will matter is the answer to that question Who do you say I am? And if you say you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God, you're the Saviour, you're the King of Kings, that will then set your life for the rest of eternity. That question matters now and it matters in the life to come. He's the master at asking the questions. If you turn to John 5, I'm going to read 1 to 3 and 5 to 6. So, John 5, I'll give you a moment just to. Flick the pages or just tap your phone, whichever way you're going. Or some of you know your Bible off by heart, so just recall it. So, John 5 1 to 3, 5 to 6. Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was a pool of Bethsaida with five covered porches crowds of sick people, the blind, the lame, or the paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. I want want to pause there. I just want you to hear that. Sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he'd been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to be well? Would you like to get well? Would you like to be well? Again, it's one of those times where I look at a question of Jesus and think, why would you even need to ask that? Do you never read? I read the Bible sometimes and exclaim things out loud because I am an external processor. So if you spend time with me, basically everything that goes on in here comes out of here. It's it's hard work um, for me as well as you. So. I, I, I literally sometimes read my Bible and just exclaim things. that I just think, why would you even need to ask that? It was obviously a very necessary question to ask. It's one we should always ask when we're praying for the sick. It's one we should always ask when we're praying for people. We should never assume that we know what it is people have got faith in their heart and what they've come for God for. We should never assume that because someone comes forward and, and they're in a wheelchair, they, they want to walk. We should never assume that. We should ask, actually, what is it you have come to Jesus for? Because it might be what they've come for Jesus for is my heart that hurts. And actually, in this grand scheme of things, my wheelchair isn't the issue. My heart is. My head is. What's going on inside of me is the issue. And actually, oftentimes for Jesus, his priority is a heart, his priority is actually winning us and bringing us in and so it's a genius question and one I do believe God would ask us over and over again do you want to be well and actually it requires you to look at things and go do I want to surrender this do I want to give that up do I want to go forward with Jesus and only if I'm a yes on that to be honest will I so otherwise we're praying and we're sowing into people who are like inside I'm just not ready I just don't want that You need to partner up with God. You need to partner up with healing. And I'm not saying God only releases healing if we're willing, but there is something about a willing heart that works alongside Jesus. There is something about God that wants to know what it is we've got in our heart that we want to do and we're prepared to follow through with action. It's a good question to ask people before you pray with them, to just say, do you want to be well? Because if you want to be well, these are the steps. If you're not ready for that, you probably don't want to be well yet. You're maybe not desperate enough yet. And that's it's a it's a good question. He's a great question, Master. Turn to Matthew eight, twenty-three to twenty-six. Probably would have helped if I'd have put all the Matthews together, wouldn't it? So Matthew eight, twenty-three to twenty-six. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake. This is the story that they're doing out in Kids and Youth this morning. So if you want to know what your young men and women are up to, they're looking at the peace of God and how it spreads in the kingdom. And they're using this story. So they're looking at where Jesus calmed the storm. So Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Jesus responded, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? It's an absolutely brilliant question. You have so little faith. Who is in the boat? Why are they afraid? Who is there? If not the maker of heaven and earth, the one who speaks to the wind and the waves and says, silent, be still, and the whole lot calms down who is with us always, who never leaves us, who faced God on our behalf so that we don't have to drag all our stuff there, all our fear, all our shame, all our gear. Jesus, who is with us now? Jesus, why are you so afraid? And there might be, you might even be facing stuff right now where you just literally need a question like that. Why are you so afraid? What is it you have to fear when the one who was and is and is to come stands, stands next to you, stands in front of you, stands behind you, stands before God, is alive inside of you? What is it you have to fear? These are absolutely brilliant questions that we can pull out of the story and apply to our own lives. So I don't know about you, there aren't many boats I've been in lately where I've been hit by a storm. However, I have been in many storms. I've been in many places where the boat feels like it's rocking. I've been in many times where I've looked around and thought, God, where are you? What is happening here? And I've been in many times where God has spoken to me and said, Why are you so afraid? It's that moment, isn't it, where we know in the story of David and Goliath, where he walks forward, swinging the stones, taking on the giant, and actually, who stands behind him is mighty. It's not David who takes on the giant. It's David with his God standing all around him, commanding every part of his story. What David relied on, what he had faith in, was not his ability to hit the giant with a stone, it was that he knew who he came with. It's that bit when you're a younger kid and your big brother is in the school that you're in. It's like, I'm fine. I've got got my brother in year nine, I'm good in year seven. It's, it's that feeling of knowing that you're covered, that you have someone who is with you, who is greater, who is mighty. Why are you afraid? Turn to Luke 10, 25 to 28. One day, an expert in religious law Stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. So this is classic Pharisee Jesus face-off. I don't know why they keep doing it because they always look stupid in it, but they're always coming up for another go. So here they go, teacher. What should I do to win it, to inherit eternal life? Jesus replies, "What does the law of Moses say?" So it's another one where it doesn't really. It says that that book that you know those laws that you know so well those things that you build your whole life around what does what does it say what does it really say and the man answered oh and how do you read it so what does it say how do you read it brilliant when we're looking at our bibles that's that's what we should ask be asking ourselves what does it say and how do i read it how do i interpret that how do i live it what do i do with that And then the man answered, well, you must love the Lord your God. I mean, Jesus, like must have known this was coming. It's just beautiful. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, says Jesus, so go and do that. It's, It's absolutely brilliant. He's the master at it. What he's saying is, when you read your Bible, what does it say? Do it. It's so simple, people. When you read your Bible, what does it say? Do it. Don't argue with it. Don't try and make it culturally relevant. Don't try and make it fit to your particular leaning or understanding. Read it. Work out what it says. Do it. It's absolutely brilliant. And a question we should be asking ourselves, am I reading it? Am I working out what it says? Am I doing it? I know loads of people that read their Bible. I know loads of people that don't. I know loads of people that read their Bible but don't appear to be living it. Well, that's no good. I know loads of people that don't read their Bible but are trying to do loads of good works. Well, that's no good. We need to read our Bibles, we need to understand what it says, and then we need to do it. And those are the questions we need to be asking one another. What are you reading? What does it say? What are you doing with it? In life group, that would be so simple to over and over again be asking one another, what are you reading in the word? What is it saying to you and what are you doing with it? There are way too many Christians either not reading their Bible or not doing what it says. We could do with being those that read it, understand it and do what it says. Nice and simple. told you it would get a little bit uncomfortable in here this morning. Okay, can you feel it in the atmosphere? It's a little bit. It's a little bit uncomfortable. It gets a little bit uncomfortable. Last question. John 21, 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me the most? Do you love me first? Do you love me more than any of these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. These are great questions that Jesus asks. Who do you say I am? Would you like to be well? Why are you afraid? What does the Bible say? And how do you read it? And then live it? And do you love me more than anything else? Do you love me more than anyone else? These are brilliant questions. And in the next 10 years, what we intend to do as a local church is ask one question, which I firmly believe will help shape us as we go forward into our growing up years. So we've done our 10 foundational years, our two years lockdown, and now we're going into the growing up years Now we're going to take seriously all the things that God has put in us, the foundations, all the things, and we're going to basically take them out. And we're going to see what God wants to do with them. What we're not going to run around doing like headless chickens is anything and everything. Because we want to make sure that we're going after the right stuff. So the question we're going to be asking over everything we do is, does it help people have a relationship with Jesus? And I'm a firm believer that if you ask that over the house of God, you should first ask it over your own house. I'm a firm believer that we lead out of who we are in the private, in our homes, in our spheres of influence. That we don't lead here and then go and live differently there, we lead out of who we are there, who we are in the quiet places, who we are before God, who we are in our homes, how we are in our marriages, what we're like with our kids, how we manage being single, how we manage being widows, how we manage being divorced, how we manage being at work, at home, retired, how we manage all those things, we lead out of the overflow of that. So I think for us to ask that question in September over everything, we should first ask it over our own lives So in our own lives, this is what I want us to examine. Does it, whatever it is, help me have a relationship with Jesus? And I want us to be asking that over the Bible that we read. So if you are not reading your Bible, it is not going to help you have a relationship with Jesus. Therefore, you shouldn't be asking it of anybody else. You should start there. You should start in a place where you're like, actually, I don't even know Jesus How would I be able to ask that over anything else when I don't know the answer in my own heart and my own life? So you might be sitting here and you're not saved and you're thinking, well, we're asking over the events we do and whether or not it'll help people have a relationship with Jesus, but I don't have one. That would be where I'd start. It might be that you're looking at your life group and thinking, well, how do we all read our Bibles and connect and pray together, but you yourself are not reading your Bible. It's not a practice of yours. It's not something that you've mastered and you've gone, no, I read my Bible. I know I do. And you're asking it over other people. I want us to pause over the summer and ask it over our own hearts and our own lives. And I want us to help one another. It might be that you're looking at prayer and you're going, well, um, maybe you Think, well, I've not been going to church prayer. That's something I should probably sort out. But in your own personal life, you're still not praying. And that might be that where you start is you say, okay, I'm going to invite some people into that. I'm going to get some help with that. So you assess where you're at, and then you work out how to move forward. Because corporate prayer matters. Any world revival will tell you that it began with men and women praying together. It's not rocket science. If we want to see, if we are serious as the people of God of seeing a move of God, our prayer meetings should be way busier than they are. What our prayer meetings tell us is actually we're probably not as serious as we say we are. Because actually, what rocking up to these things does is it puts our money where our mouth is. It, it, it says, not only do I think we should see Sutton Coalfield reached for Jesus, I pray like that, I'm there. And so what we know is we've still got a job to do to win hearts for people actually stepping in and going, I'm there. I'm standing wherever it is. If it's on Zoom or it's in a house or it's in a school, wherever it is, I'm standing there and I'm praying. I'm standing shoulder to shoulder and I'm going after it. Does it help us build a relationship with Jesus? Yes, it helps you personally, but it will help everybody else do it too. So those are the things we're going to be checking. Your life group, you might be in a life group where you are having loads of fun together. And we absolutely love that. We endorse fun in Real Life Church. It is one of our favourite things. But if you are only having meals and only having fun together, if you were to ask the question, does it help me have a relationship with Jesus? I would hazard a guess the answer is no. Helps me have a relationship with the person opposite me. Helps me have a relationship with food. Helps me have fun. Helps me have great photos for my Insta. But does it help me have a relationship with Jesus? And I would suggest all our life groups need to ask that question. Individually and collectively, am I growing in Jesus here? And I'm not suggesting you all move life groups. What I'm saying is look at your own life and then look at your life group. And go, does it help? I wonder if what you watch does it help you have a relationship with Jesus? It would be a great question, wouldn't it? Every time you sit down to watch something on the TV, does this help me or does this get in the way? I'd hazard a guess most of us are going to stop watching stuff because the answer is with most of what I watch, actually, it probably gets in the way. There are times when I think, oh, Two hours spent watching TV, half an hour reading my Bible would probably be better for me. So there's going to be some some difficult questions that we need to ask. What about what you listen to? What about your relationship with social media? Mine, I, I like to use it to be able to say this is what's going on. I like to highlight stuff, but I also go on the hunt and look out for things I can speak into things I can speak life into, things, so I've chosen to use it as a vehicle to use my prophetic gift, I've chosen to use it like that, so I will hop on, scout around and go, what can I endorse, get behind, go, yes, I love that, if ever anyone posts something about their anniversary of marriage, I will hop on the back of that, and I will shout loudly, you keep going, because that's how I feel in my heart of hearts, I generally, I don't get on and endorse stuff that I just don't think honours God. And so sometimes you'll find me silent on things. Everybody else is going, woohoo, well done. I'm like silent. We've got friends who are struggling at the moment and have split up. And she's just posted some photos of her with another guy. Everyone else is like, lovely to see that. Great, we're pleased for you. I'm not pleased. There is no way I'm endorsing that. So I'm looking at stuff and going, yes, no. That's how I use it. How do you use it? What is it for you? Is it, is it a place that tears you down and strips you down? Well, get rid of it. Does that help you have a relationship with Jesus? No. And I think it's time for us over the summer to take a stock check. And go, actually, what are the things that help me and what are the things that don't? Friendships. Are there ones that you're in at the moment that you just think it's a little toxic around here? I need to assess it. I need to look at it. I need to ask some good questions. And that doesn't mean your only friends are Christians. What it means is I assess it and go, does this build, strengthen? Do I need to speak into it? Someone recently said to me that they had to be brave and speak up in a friendship group that was becoming increasingly toxic about things of God. And they had to say, I just can't be a part of this. So either we change the conversation or I have to bow out. Like, to be honest, I cheered Because I thought, brilliant, what we need to be doing is creating cultures where we are growing in relationship with Jesus, where we are having a relationship with Jesus, where we are creating spaces where people can do likewise. We need to be checking things and going, does this work, doesn't this work? So I want us over the summer, even though it's a little uncomfortable, to assess our lives I want us to look at, do I have a relationship with Jesus? And it might be that yours has gone a little cold or a little lukewarm or a little off the boil. And it might be that what you need to do is get in front of Jesus and say, I'm so sorry. I want to sort that out. I want you to take a look at your relationship with church and Sunday mornings and the pandemic some of the things it's done for us is it's reset it's revealed things the pandemic has revealed things in people's hearts I think God has allowed some of these things to happen so that we can see what's really going on what we need to do is reset on some of our things so I've heard people recently saying things like I don't want my whole life to be focused around church I don't want my whole life to be focused around a Sunday. And there's a bit of me that understands it because I go, I can see what you're saying. There's a massive part of me that, to be honest, because I'm an external processor, I basically just go, no. Because actually the people of God are supposed to meet together weekly. They're supposed to be in and out of each other's lives. It's not something that we've put in place because we think, well, this is a great idea. While everybody else is washing their car and enjoying their lives, we'll make everyone sit in here and we'll, we'll just talk at them and we'll sing songs because, you know, it's a great idea. It's actually very biblical that the people of God would gather together in the temples, worship Jesus, get their minds straight and then go back out into the world. Weekly works works because it means you come in together, you get refocused, and you go, oh yeah, it's not all about me. Oh gosh, yeah, sorry Jesus. You get your mind straight, and then you get back on with all the other stuff. The Sabbath was something that God said to keep holy, because it was his chance to gather all his kids in and go, okay, and breathe. Look at me, remember who I am, go again. This is so important and something we need to fight for, not something we need to go, well, I'll come one week, I'll be off the next week, I'll, maybe I'll try once a month. This is something that we're supposed to put in as our practice as believers. We're supposed to meet together as often as we can, to be honest, because we forget stuff. So does it help you build a relationship with Jesus? I would say yes, yes. And gathering in and then going back out again helps you be a better witness out there. Some of us have got to look at that. Ironically, some of us who are not sitting here and are listening online have got to look at that. That's the irony. Always your best sermon. The people you want to hear it are not in the room. So if you're listening online, this is for you. Some of you need to just retake a look at it, but retake a look at your language. Does it help me build a relationship with Jesus? Yes, it stays. No, no. I shape it or it goes. Assess what you're watching, what you're looking at, what you're reading. Check out your summer reads and go, is it a pile of chiclet and maybe one little thin Jesus book down here that I might get to? Currently, that's what mine looks like. So I'm going gonna, gonna to readdress that. I've got a lovely big pile of um, girly chiclet and I've got one book next to it that I'm in the middle of reading. Absolute corker. But I'm going to readdress that so that there's... A bit more going on on this side and a little less on this side. Look at your life groups. Look at your workplaces. Think, do these things help me have a relationship with Jesus? Is there space in my day where I can incorporate something that's going to help me out here? My friendship groups. I think that's going to be so key for us moving forward. The next 10 years, it's going to matter who you stand next to. I believe that. It's going to matter who you choose to have as your running mates. Because if we're really going to grow up and we're really going to move forward, which we are, it's going to matter when you look to the side who stands there. It's going to matter. It's going to matter who your cheerleaders are. And I've seen that over the last two years. I've seen the people who've really thrived because actually they've had cheerleaders run alongside going, Come on. and I've seen the people who've really struggled. Who've either isolated themselves or have been isolated, and they're missing their their cheerleaders who are going, Come on, let's go after Jesus together. Are you reading your Bible? What's happening in your marriage? How are you doing with your kids? What's happening with your life? Oh, it's interesting that you say that. Someone said to me the other day, I'm no longer being church focused. Oh, man, I was so rightly placed. It's like once I'd like ordered the rage inside of me and, and like got it in a way that I thought, this will come out, there is a little bit of processing that goes on. And, and I managed to say, oh my gosh, lovely girl, don't do that. It's going to matter who runs next to us. So does it help you have a relationship with Jesus? I would hazard a guess some of your habits will need to be gone and some new ones will need to come in. I definitely think you're going to need to speak to some people and go, could you help me with this? Could you talk to me about it? Could you process it with me? I definitely think you're going to get to Jesus on some stuff. I've had to, over the last couple of weeks, repent of some stuff, put some stuff right with Jesus, forgive some people so that I can clear the decks, so I can come before him and say, actually, I do know this is all about you, and I do want my life to be all about you. So I'm going to ask you to stand, worship team, if you could come up and join me. Not that I'm going to join in and sing, I just mean come up and join me. The question I want us all asking is, does it help me have a relationship with Jesus? If the answer is yes, you should keep it in your life and grow it. If the answer is, I'm not sure, you should get some help in the mix. If the answer is no, and in fact it gets in the way, you should get rid of it. I'm not suggesting if that's a person in your life. If it's the person you're married to, that is not what I'm saying, okay? So I'm not endorsing that you ditch the person standing next to you, what I'm saying is you should look at it and work it out. You should answer the question because the question really matters. And in your life group over the next few weeks, I'm going to put some of those questions on your WhatsApp group, life group leaders. And I want us to be challenging one another, questioning one another. I want it to be as simple as what I read, watch and listen to. But I want it to be as massive as what I spend my days doing, what I spend my money on, what I dedicate my time to. Does it help me build a relationship with Jesus? Should be the question that we're asking one another all the time. Will this book help? Does that help you? If social media tears you down, come off it. If it does not help you grow in your gift, grow in your influence, affect change around you, get rid of it. If there are TV programs that you watch that trip you up time and time again, chuck them away. It's about the best thing you can do. If you are not reading your Bible, sort that out. We have offered so much help here. We will literally start wherever you are and we will help you. If you are struggling with praying and knowing how to corporately pray and stand with us so that we can see God's kingdom come, talk to us about it because we're all about Jesus here. And if it helps you, build a relationship with him, we are on it. Amen? Let's worship.